Morning, church. Good morning. I'm, thank you. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. If you're not glad you're here, put up your hand. Please identify yourself. That won't make you do that. Um, congratulations, young people, grade 12s, graduates. That's, that's exciting. I remember that, that like that was yesterday. Almost. <laughs> Some of you are thinking it probably was almost yesterday. But um, I would just encourage you, like was said up here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Jesus will not let you down. Fail you. Right, Sarah? I want to welcome a little serenity to the fellowship. I see Daddy Tyler holding, holding his daughter. I think this might be your first time in church. Is, to, is this the first Sunday? Anyway, welcome a little serenity back there in the corner. <laughs> have a question for you. If you could have any superpower, am I on? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? I just... Uh, if, if you could pick a superpower for yourself, what would you pick? Be serious, Paul. Love. I was thinking more like, you know, knowing the lottery numbers ahead of time or something. <laughs> You're way more spiritual than I am. Way more sp- <laughs> Any superpower you could just pick for yourself, what would it be? <laughs> you guys, you guys, you guys are way... <laughs> Listen... You don't, have to pre- you don't have to pretend to be like really holy, godly people. What? Let's just close with a benediction and go home. This is, this is not going where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> All right, so yeah, some of you, the, the, the less holier individuals here, you'd, uh, <laughs> you, you'd maybe pick, I don't know, the, the ability to fly would be pretty cool or to see through walls, I don't know, to read thoughts, um, to be invincible, superhuman strength, time travel, whatever it is. Some of you have thought about that. I mean, we, we live in a, a society that's become kind of saturated with the whole superhero thing, right? I mean, it seems like every second movie coming out these days is a superhero movie. I know you older people, you just don't get that. Right? You don't understand the appeal, but this younger generation, it's all about superheroes. Um, and uh, it's not really my genre. I, I've, I've, I've got three young daughters. It's all Disney princesses. You know, it's frozen again and again. Just let it go already. Just let it go. Let it go. Um, Maybe, maybe we're into the whole superhero thing because uh, it, it's, it's a way to kind of escape for a little while uh, our mundane lives, to imagine what it would be like to not be ordinary, to be extraordinary. Some people have envisioned Jesus to be a superhero. In fact, a few uh, years ago now, there was a, a song that came out which I absolutely hated. It was a terrible song. I mean, it just sounded, sounded bad. But it was on the radio, the Christian radio, for a while. It was called Jesus is My Superhero. Some of you will remember it. 
And it had lyrics like this. He's the one who makes the sun shine. He's the one that puts the moon in the sky. He's the one who hung the stars one by one. He's the one who makes the birds sing. He's the one who makes your dreams so high. He's the one who makes me smile day by day. Jesus, you're my superhero. You're my star, my best friend. Jesus, you're my superhero. You're my star, you're my best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better than Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, better than Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 better than Batman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not the most theologically rich of lyrics in the world. Yeah, better than anyone. Jesus, you're my superhero. Is he? Is Jesus a superhero? Um, it's interesting. As, as I looked at those lyrics again, you see the word better than. Jesus is better than. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because that's really what we're talking about as we're going through the book of Hebrews. How Jesus is better than. Better than what? Well, the author of Hebrews is telling us better than anything. Better than anyone. In fact, the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews, as we're discovering as we go through it, is, is he's showing us all the different ways in which Jesus is better than anything or anyone that, that we could give our life to, that we could build our life on. And we're discovering all those different ways in which Jesus is better. And um, in the passage we're going to look at this morning, the author of, of Hebrews uses an interesting word, title, for Jesus. We find it in Hebrews 2, verse 10. If you have your Bible, turn, turn there. Hebrews chapter 2. I'll begin by reading, uh, beginning verse 10 through 18, and then we'll come back and, and look at this interesting word he uses. So I'll begin Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer, that, that's the word, okay? I'm gonna come back to that word. That he should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises and again I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. He's quoting a few Old Testament passages. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not God, it's not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We'll stop right there. I want to come back to that word, but I, I just saw Chase and Tara, right? It's you there? Okay, and, and, and I didn't see you before. There's another new baby here for the very first time. Sorry to like have to point you out, but not really. Anyway, they just welcomed uh, little boy Phoenix into their home. 
a couple weeks ago. Congratulations, guys. So that word, coming back to verse 10, uh, pioneer. My Bible says pioneer. Anybody else have a different word? Founder. Anyone else? Author. Any other words? Someone said what? Captain. Okay, yeah, different versions use a different word there because, well, it's a bit of a difficult, difficult word to translate in English. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word archegos. Uh, and, and the first part of that word, ark, we, we've adopted and we've taken into a lot of our English words like ark or arch, archbishop, kind of the guy at the top, um, archangel, kind of the highest of angels, most powerful of angels, archvillain, right, the greatest enemy, comes from this word archegos. And probably the best way to translate that word is, is the, by using the word Champion, champion. Jesus is the champion of our salvation because uh, this letter was written to people that were saturated in, well, kind of a superhero culture. I mean, that was the, the Greek and the Roman pantheons of gods, mythology in which these people lived. The, the, the greatest god of, of the Greeks, Hercules, was called the Archegos. He was the champion and the greatest god of, of the Romans was Zeus, and Zeus was called the Archegos. He was the champion. And so it's this context that the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is your Archegos. Okay? He's your champion. So if, if you, it might sound kind of crass, but if you want to put that in today's parlance, our culture, he might say, Jesus is the real superhero, guys. He's the real superman. So maybe that song wasn't too far off. But he's a different sort of superman, superhero. Um, he's going to go on to explain here. He says something interesting, though, after he calls Jesus this champion of our salvation. It said that he had to be made perfect. God had to make the champion of their salvation perfect. Now, you, you might stop there and go, hold on a minute. How did Jesus have to be made perfect? Wasn't he always perfect? And he was, in a sense. I mean, he, he's morally perfect without error, without flaw. But what he's saying is he had to meet the qualifications to be a champion, right? He had to be made a perfect champion of salvation by having some ability, by doing something. And how did, was he made perfect? How was he made a perfect champion? It goes on and says he was made perfect through what he Anybody got it? He was made perfect through what he suffered. This is interesting here. The author is saying, he's your superhero, okay? But his superpower is the superpower of suffering. Suffering. Okay? We wanna, I want to unpack that here in our few minutes together and, and ask three questions. What is the suffering that makes Jesus our champion how does, it make, how does that suffering make Jesus a perfect champion for us? And then how ought we to respond to that? So what is this suffering of which he speaks? When we hear the word suffering and we think of Jesus, right away we go to the cross. And that's true. That's an important part of the suffering of Jesus. But the author of Hebrews has much more in mind here than just the event of the cross. He elaborates at a few different points. In verse 14, he says, Since the children, that is humankind, you and I, 
Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity. He shared in their humanity. Verse 17, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Made like them, fully human in every way. Verse 18, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what is the suffering that he talks about that makes Jesus a perfect champion for us? Well, it's much more than the cross. He's talking about the fact that Jesus shares the full experience of humanness with all the limitations and all the suffering and all the bad and the ugly that comes with being a human and going through this life as a human being in a fallen world. He experiences all of that, which is kind of hard to fathom. I think sometimes we think Jesus was a human. Yeah, I mean, if you're on a DNA test, human, but an exceptional human who lived an exceptional sort of life, kind of unlike my sort of mundane, ordinary life. And what he's saying is not at all. He was made like you and I in every way, and he experienced what you and I experience in every way sickness and fatigue and he was subjected to pain and grief and loss and he had to work hard and he hit his thumb with a hammer, probably. I mean, it doesn't say that in the Gospel of John, but he experienced hunger and thirst. You remember when he was out in the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and he was terribly hungry and, and, and the enemy comes to him, Satan, and says, you don't have to be hungry, you're God. Just turn that stone into bread and you can fill your tummy. You don't have to experience this. I mean, they do, but you don't have to. So get behind me. He never used, now make no bones about it, he didn't stop being God. He didn't put off his godness and put on humanness. While being fully God, he became fully man. And he never used his divine power to his own advantage to save him from any of the experience of humanness. This is essentially what uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter two, some familiar verses, six and seven. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, clung to, not to be something that was used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. He was God and yet he never used any of his godness to, to, to escape any of the experience of being a man, of being human. He used his power for other people's advantage, yeah, but never for himself to ease his suffering or to escape it. And before Christmas in a message I'd shared a story and I know it's only month nine I've been here and I'm starting to repeat stories, so deal with it, I guess is what I'm saying. But if, uh, if you were here, you might remember of that, that day when I was at Providence College and they had this event, Be Homeless for a Day. Experience what it's like to be homeless for a day. What they go through for a day. And so I thought, this sounds fun, right? So a few of us, got in our cars and we drove into the city and we were supposed to spend 24 hours on the streets of Winnipeg and just live like a homeless person, just make do, sleep where you could sleep. 
So I remember it was November, it was cold, sleeping on a park bench, just couldn't do it, tried to find this little warm space inside a bank, kind of uh, ATM room, got kicked out. Um, on a bus shelter in Portage Ave at 2 a.m., this guy runs by bleeding from his head because he got beaten up by a gang a block away. And, and, and myself and the other, others that were with me, we said, time out, we're done, we're out of here. We pulled the cord, we went, we found our car, we went home because I had a nice warm bed. I didn't have to deal with this. And Jesus didn't have to either, but he never shrunk back or escaped or avoided any of the suffering that we can't escape or avoid. He embraced it all, so he was born. He didn't, he didn't just come down to earth as, as a man. He came to the world as we come into the world. Embryo. Baby growing in his mother's womb. Born, crying, poopy diapers. Can you imagine the angels, the one that they had glorified around the throne? Now here he is, mama changing his diaper? How odd. But he embraced it all. In fact, it said um, not only did he go through those sufferings, but part of that suffering was that he was tempted in every way like you are tempted. Or at least that's what it says in chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And now I read that and I go, okay, I don't know, every way. I'm kind of uncomfortable picturing a Jesus that was tempted the way I'm tempted. Makes me a little uncomfortable. It didn't make the writer of Hebrews uncomfortable. He said, all those ways you're tempted, he knows what that's like. In fact, even more so because at that point when I give in to my temptation, it overwhelms me and I give in. He didn't give in. He alone bore the full weight of temptation to the very end without sin. He alone knows the full weight, the full suffering of human temptation. He shared in our humanity. He suffered as we suffer yet without sin. So he's saying he's a champion, but what makes him a champion is that, not that, not, not that he became so much more extraordinary than you, but that he became as ordinary as you are. Uh, a normal superhero is someone who's kind of ordinary, and then they do something extraordinary, but, but Jesus is a different kind of superhero. He's an anti-superhero. He's the extraordinary one that embraces the ability to be ordinary to suffer the way we do. And we're told that it was this suffering that perfected him as a champion of our salvation. How does this suffering make Jesus a perfect champion for us? So I want to share three ways that we find in these verses as he shows us why this makes Jesus a perfect champion for our salvation uh, the first reason he gives us is that because of his suffering, Jesus has robbed Satan of the one power he has over us. He calls it the power of death. You see this in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Which causes you to ask, in what way does does Satan hold the power of death? 
Because some people envision this tussle, kind of the yin and yang, good and bad, life and death, and somehow Satan is lord of the domain of death. He invented it. He controls it. That's not what it means for him to have power over death because we know that he, he does not have, have that position. Who, who is the Lord over death? It's God. Who pronounces the judgment of death? It's God. You see it back at the beginning of the scriptures when he makes man and he says, if you rebel against me, the consequence is death. Rebellion against God. The consequence is death, separation from the life of God. So Satan doesn't control it. God does. What does it mean then for him to have the power over death? We have a clue, I think, in Revelation chapter 12. John has this vision of of heaven and he says in Revelation 12, 10, I, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who's the accuser? We're gonna find it's, it's, it's the devil, it's Satan, okay? The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we see that the work of Satan is to accuse us before God. He's saying that Satan is the world's greatest prosecuting attorney. And he knows that the the wages of sin is death. He knows that. And he sees our sin and he knows our sin. And his He takes it upon himself day and night to stand before God and accuse us before God and display before God all your sin. Look at Rusty. Look what he, look at that. What do you think of that? What's the, what did you say was the judgment of that, God? Remind me. Yeah, death. You need to bring him death. Ken York, could you please turn off your phone? (laughs) I don't normally single people out, but you deserved it, so. (laughs) Uh, All right. Satan is an accuser. He is... Speaking our guilt to God, the judge, the righteous judge. This is what he does, okay? Uh, So the only power that Satan has over death is, is in the truth of his prosecution. The only power he has is in the truth of our guilt. And it says that by the blood of the lamb, he has been hurled down, and yet it says he is still accusing day and night. He's still doing what he's always tried to do, but now... It's ineffective. He has been hurled down. His accusations don't stick anymore. And this is what the word destroy means, that, that, that Jesus destroyed his power. The word destroy doesn't mean to cease to exist. It means to render something ineffective. Why don't you just step... <laughs> we love you, Ken. We love you. We for- Jesus forgives you, too. 
To, dis- to, to be destroyed means to be rendered ineffective, right? So like taking the spark plugs out of a car. But you, I mean, you can sit there and you can try to turn that puppy over all day long and it ain't gonna work. It's been destroyed. It's been rendered ineffective. And he says, Jesus has rendered Satan ineffective. He had one weapon that he used against us that brought us death, which was the truth of the accusation of our sin and our guilt. And Jesus, in his death, has taken, has disarmed him, has pulled the spark plugs out. Oh yeah, you can keep doing your thing there. But, but now Jesus... Um, he has been hurled down by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has become this perfect, once for all sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. He has paid in his blood, in his death. He has paid the penalty of our sin and that our guilt has been removed from us. And this is what the author of Hebrews says over and over again, chapter 10, verses uh, 10 he says Jesus or that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all verse 12 uh, he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins then he sat down at the right hand of God verse 14 for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy what does it mean to be you are perfect by his sacrifice are you perfect Have you stopped sinning? Is anyone sin-free? Have you reached that point? I'm close. Really close. I can only say that because my wife's not here right now. (laughs) Very. But he says, by that sacrifice, we have been made perfect. What does that mean? It means that through the, the death of Jesus on our behalf, he has covered the guilt of our sin. When the accuser comes and accuses and tries to get God to pronounce the judgment of death, God looks at his son who stands behind him and he looks at the wounds in his hands and I've always wondered, why does Jesus still have wounds? He has this resurrected, glorious, transformed body. Why does he still have wounds? Does that mean that I'm gonna have my scar? Does it mean that I'm gonna have my limp in heaven? I'm gonna have to deal with that forever? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think these are eternal wounds that are, that are present at God's right hand so that that sacrifice for our sin is ever present before the Father's eyes. Anytime any accusation of guilt comes for our sin, the father looks to the son and the son puts his hands up. I paid for that. And then Satan turns to, or God turns to Satan and says, no, that's been paid for. That's been paid for. It's been forgiven. The charge has been taken away. In his death, Jesus has taken out of Satan's hands the one thing that he had against us, which was the guilt of our sin. This is what the author of Hebrews means in in chapter two, verse 17, in that Jesus had to be made like us in every way, fully human, in order that he might make atonement for the sins of the people to satisfy God's demand. So now all the devil's accusations are empty, God says, paid in full, paid in full. Because of Jesus' suffering, he has robbed Satan of that power. Secondly, he's, uh, because of his suffering, Jesus has become for us a, a merciful advocate on our behalf before God. Back to verse 17. He had to be made like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. You know, sometimes 
you go through something, some temptation, some experience, some suffering, and, and you feel unique in your pain. And you just don't think someone else is going to understand that. They couldn't possibly. And you might even say that. I, I would go and talk with Rusty, but I'm afraid he wouldn't understand. Or I don't think he would understand. He hasn't experienced that. And you know what? You'd be right. I wouldn't understand. Which is why if you were here a couple weeks ago, I told you about that personality test I took. Am I, is Rusty mercy oriented or judgment or, or, or justice oriented? And I was heavily justice. I, I think I've moderated a bit, but at the time I was very justice oriented because I had one of these nice, everything was really simple going up. You follow the rules. Good things happen. I had a good home, a good family. Raised. I was, never had to experience abuse or, 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 or a traumatic loss or any of these other things. Life was simple for me. Yeah, I wouldn't understand. What he's saying is Jesus has gone through it all, even those greatest of temptations, and so we know that he will understand. We don't have to hide from God. We don't have to fear how he might receive us or whether he might reject us because we're gonna come to him and no matter what it is, he's, he's just probably gonna shut us up and say, you don't have to explain to me. I understand. I know. I empathize with your weakness, with yourself. You don't have to teach him anything new. You can't shock him. You can shock the pastor. You know, I've gone golfing a few times with someone invites me along and we join another group there and it's usually by whole four or five. They've had a few beers when, when they look over to me and they don't know me and they ask, so what do you do? And I already know how this is going to go. So I lie and say I'm a heavy-duty mechanic. <laughs> and they say, I don't believe that. <laughs> they look at my, my soft hands and they go, liar. I say, I'm a pastor. And you see the look on their face where they're going back every word they said. Ooh, those F words, those S words. He's probably never heard those words before. Oh, you know. And you kind of just kind of see that, that barrier go up there. And uh, not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Okay. This is, I think, what he has in mind when, when he says in chapter 2, verse 11, that Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed. There's nothing you can bring to him that's going to shock him, cause him to be ashamed because he has been through it and that makes him a merciful representative on our behalf. We can approach God with boldness. Our sin or our guilt shouldn't cause us to hide from God because God knows and he understands and he's merciful because he has suffered. Thirdly, lastly, through Jesus' suffering, he brings us into God's family. Verse 10. Um, the, the champion of their salvation was made perfect through what he suffered in order that he could bring many sons and daughters to glory. Bring, I love that word. 
Because he suffered, because he came, became one of us, he could bring us. It's not God just sending for us. You can come. If you can scale that mountain, you can join me. No. He comes beside us wherever we are and he says, come with me. Get on my back. I'll carry you there. I'm your brother. Jesus brings, in his suffering, he brings who? Many sons and daughters. Although, in the Greek, it's just sons. Sorry, ladies. It's, it's a boys club up in heaven. No. My Bible translates it sons and daughters because it means anybody. Anybody. But in the Greek, it was just sons. Not because they were anti-woman, but because in the, first, in the chapter before, do you remember that, that the name that, God, that Jesus was given? The greater name? He was God's Son. All that was God's belonged to him. He was God's son. And now he says, and you too, through Jesus, become sons. He's speaking about this place of, you know, everything in that culture, everything that belonged to the father belonged to the son. It was a favored, privileged position. All that belonged to the father belongs to the son. And so this is incredible. He says, I don't call you servants. I don't call you friends. Through Jesus, you become a son. As he is a son. Jesus' relationship with God becomes our relationship with God. The, the Father sees you the way he sees Jesus. Isn't this amazing? It doesn't matter what your weakness is. He looks down and he sees a son. He sees us the way he sees his son Jesus. The father treats us the way he treats Jesus. He loves us the way he loves his son Jesus. All because of what Jesus has done in his suffering to bring us into the family of God. You know, uh, you ever been on you ever played on a sports team where you guys just really sucked? Like you're just really bad? Okay, there's a few here. And, but you had that one good player, that one player. And it's like just because you had that one player, you won like every game. He scored every goal. You know, he stole the puck from every other offenseman on the other team. It didn't matter how strong the other team was. I mean, apart from him, you sucked. You'd lose every game. But because of that one champion on your team, you won. Because he carried you to victory. You couldn't tire the guy out. You couldn't stop him. You were a team of losers, but you became champions because you had a champion on your team. Here this afternoon uh, is game six of the Stanley Cup Finals. If the Penguins win, they hoist the Stanley Cup. And a lot of us have dreamed about doing that. What, what happens when you win the Stanley Cup? You get your name etched on the cup. It doesn't matter whether you were the third string goalie. 
whether you were a fourth liner, whether you were injured and didn't get on the ice, whether you were the trainer, you got your name on that cup. You were a champion. You got the ring. The author of Hebrews is saying, so it is with, G- with our champion. Without him, we're a bunch of losers. You're a loser. Did you know that? Amen. Any other amens? <laughs> Let me say it again. You're losers! <laughs> but that's okay. You're surrounded with losers. Turn to the person on your left and your right and say, you're a loser. <laughs> Take five seconds. Do it. Say, you're a loser. Okay. But, now say this, but Jesus wants to be your champion. If you have that champion on your team, it doesn't matter. Carries you to victory. Jesus brings us into the family of God, but because of what he suffered on our behalf. So, he was made a perfect champion through what he suffered on our behalf. The question is, how do we respond to that here in closing? The question for each one of us is, is he your champion? Is he your champion? Because in verse 10, the author began by saying that he, that he brings many sons and daughters. He doesn't bring everybody. He brings many. He becomes the champion of salvation for many. Is he your champion? Are you one of the many sons and daughters that he has brought into the family of God? God's word says to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who received him by believing in him what he had done on their behalf. Elsewhere it says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead conquering the power of death and if you confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it look like to call on Jesus? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One more minute. Luke 23. You have a little story. You may be familiar with it. Jesus is on the cross. He's not on the cross alone, is he? What does he have on either side of him? People. Jesus, doesn't, Jesus dies with other people. He dies with criminals. And one of those criminals, we're told, looks to Jesus as they're dying, Luke chapter 23, and he says to Jesus, he says, I'm getting what I, my deeds deserve. So he knew his death was just for him. But he said to Jesus, you're getting what you don't deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. He's not dying for his sins. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's calling on the Lord. 
The other guy didn't. He didn't. But the one criminal looks at him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He calls on the name of the Lord. Be my champion, he says. Do for me what I can't do for myself. And what does Jesus say? Too late for you, buster. You made your bed. Lie in it. No? He says, yeah. That's all you got to do. All you got to do is call on me. Truly, I tell you, criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. I'll be your champion, and I'll bring you into the family of God. I'll give you his life. So do you need to call on Jesus? I know many of you have. Maybe there are some here this morning that um, need to call upon Jesus. You've been trying to be your own champion before God. You realize that you're just a loser. That Jesus wants to be your champion on your behalf. Do you need to call on Jesus this morning? He wants you to. You can call on him even right now and he would become your champion. Your sins would be forgiven. He would bring you into the family of God. He would give you a new and better life if you would call upon his name and say, be my champion. And I want to invite you, if that's something that you feel you need to do today, I invite you to do it right now and I want to help you do it. I want you to pray this prayer with me, calling on Jesus to, to be your champion, become the champion of your salvation. Would you bow with me? All of you, bow your head, close your eyes. If you need to call on the name of the Lord this morning, why don't you just pray this prayer with me in your heart? God, I am a sinner. I'm a loser, and I'm powerless to save myself. I confess my complete helplessness to forgive my own sin and to be acceptable to you. I believe that Jesus is your son who died in my place and rose from the dead to guarantee my salvation. I believe that all believe that he did all that will ever be necessary for me to be accepted by you as your child. I want the life that only you give. So now I turn from my way and I turn to you and repent of my sins and I put my full trust in you, Jesus, as my Savior. Be my champion. I call on you to come into my life to be my Lord and I give myself to you. Thank you that you love me despite my failures and that you will never leave me nor reject me. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed, eyes closed. You know, the Bible said that um, if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. If you declare Jesus as your Lord, and I'm not going to ask you to confess with your mouth right now, but I think it's important. If that's a prayer you prayed, I mean, if you if you just prayed that prayer in your heart and you called on the Lord to be your champion, then I would just ask you to acknowledge that. While everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just put up your hand and declare that. 
Thank you. Jesus says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. There's nothing that God wants more for us than that we would call on his name so that he might be our champion. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. We love you because in your love for us, you left your throne and you left your glory and you became one of us. And you lived a whole life being one of us and you suffered like we suffer and you tempted like we are tempted and yet never ever once did you give in, Lord. And so when you died on that cross, you did not die for your own sin, but you died as a sacrifice once for all, for all who would call on your name. And that's all they would have to do. We thank you that you have done all the work for us, that you will become our champion. Regardless of how much of a failure or loser, how weak we are, if we would just call on your name, you would make us a son or a daughter. Thank you. In your name we pray, amen.